Hello, and welcome to Shara's Motor Force. I am so glad that you decided to join me today. I have a very, very, very important message that I believe speaks to where we are as a nation right now and addresses some of the issues that we are facing. And I have a very, very special guest who's gonna help me deliver that message. And I'm gonna preface this interview by saying I have a son. A black son and this past Wednesday I witnessed a video that shook me to my core I saw an unarmed handcuffed black man George Floyd be murdered by a white police officer I saw this unarmed black man laying on the ground while this white officer pressed his knee in the neck and sat there for over eight minutes until he died. I listened to this black man scream and plead for his life and continuously state that he could not breathe. I listened to this black man call out for his mother and I watched the white man keep his knee on George's neck. I also watched several other officers stand there or kneel there as bystanders and do nothing. I watched several bystanders yell out and say, hey officers, he's saying he can't breathe. Let him up. He's not moving. And still nothing happened. And when I witnessed this event, my heart sank for George Floyd. My heart sank for his family. My heart sank for this nation. My heart sank for my family. My heart sank for my husband. My heart sank for my black son. And I thought about what kind of world is my son going to grow up in? If a man is killed because of the color of his skin and the law doesn't even care, what kind of world are we living in where year after year after year you see black man after black man after black man be killed by a white police officer or white civilian with little to no consequences. And there's been so many of these tragic events. I'll be honest, my husband and I started having discussions about how we were going to handle teaching and training our son for the day that he gets pulled over, if he ever gets pulled over by the police. We talked about things like, all right, we're going to make sure that he says yes, sir, and no, sir, and yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am, and that he keeps his hand on the steering wheel and that, and that he knows to abide by the law and that he's respectful and that he announces himself before he grabs his keys or his wallet or he yells out and puts his hand out of the window to let them know that he does not have any weapons. And I'll be honest, after seeing the video of George Floyd, 
I looked at my husband and I thought about all those previous conversations and plans and trainings that we had in mind for our son. And I said, you know what? There is absolutely no way for us to train our son against someone who's racist. Something has got to change in this system. And I thought about how all of this diversity and all of this division and all of all of these, you know, seemingly race wars were going on. And it brought me back to a speech I heard a while back by Dr. Martin Luther King called The Other America. <coughs> and it brought me to the realization that there are two Americas. In one America, the people are successful. They get to operate in life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. In this other, in, I'm sorry, in this America, people are trusted because they have green in this America, people have opportunities to thrive and succeed. In this America, green and white appear to rule and are trusted to be superior above all else. In this America, these lives seem to matter most. But parallel to this America, is the other America. And this other America, blacks are killed by whites and walk free. And this other America, blacks kill blacks with no value for their life. And this other America, abortion clinics are posted up in low income neighborhoods where the population is predominantly black. In this other America, a black person is more likely to die from COVID-19 than a white person. Why, you ask? Because of the systemic racism that was set in place many, many, many years ago from the era of slavery when when, when behaviors and thoughts and perceptions were set in motion that did not allow blacks to get access to the same healthy foods and the same health care and the same resources that white people had access to. And we still face that today. Even though we've made progress and even though there's been great strides, we still have a ways to go. In this other America, people aren't trusted as much because they don't have much green and their skin is brown. In this other America, these lives don't seem to matter as much. This is the anomaly of two Americas. I saw a meme the other day that referenced the fact that black people are tired. It said we're tired 
of unarmed blacks being killed by police officers. Officers. It said we're tired of having to make more hashtags of the names of the people who are killed. Tired of having to say Black Lives Matter in the first first place. As for me, I'm tired of all the census killing. I'm tired of black lives not mattering to blacks nor whites. I'm tired of us killing one another. I'm tired of others killing us. I'm tired of disunity and tired of others not placing values on our life. And I'm tired of us not valuing our own lives. I'm tired of the us versus them mentality. I'm tired of America being two instead of one and rather than appreciating differences, criticizing and stereotyping. Since there is nothing new under the sun, I thought to myself, there's been two Americas for a while. And I figured I'd consult someone who has experience and who's had significant impact in this nation who's helped strides and helped America make movement toward progress thus far. And considering the critical state that our nation is in, I've scheduled this interview with someone from history whose story has made a difference in our history and is helping to propel us forward into a brighter future who has positively impacted our world today. Today I'm interviewing the 1967 version of Martin Luther King to gain insight and answers from his speech, The Other America, that can help guide us on how we should respond to the events that are going on today. And so I'm gonna talk to him now and, and I'm excited. I hope you really get something out of this today. So Martin, you were the first person I heard to introduce that there are literally two Americas. What would you say the greatest tragedy of having the other America is? In a sense, the greatest tragedy of this other America is what it does to little children. Little children in this other America are forced to grow up with clouds of inferiority forming every day in their little mental skies. And as we look at this other America, we see it as an arena hmm of blasted hopes and wow. shattered dreams. Many people of various backgrounds live in this other America. Uh, America. Some are Mexican-Americans, some are Puerto mm -hmm. Ricans, some are Indians, mm -hmm. uh, some uh, happen to be from other groups. Millions of them are Appalachian whites. Probably the largest group in this other America in proportion to its size in the population is the American Negro. Wow. Wow. So true. So true. It's so sad 
for children to see people who look like them be treated less than. And while I know there are a lot of good people out there, both black and white, because I come in contact with them every day, it's still very apparent that there's a divide in America that still exists and that is maintained by economic status or skin color. This problem needs to be addressed. What do you say to that, Martin? The American Negro finds himself living in a triple ghetto, a ghetto of race, a ghetto of poverty, a ghetto is to deal with this problem, to deal with this problem of the two Americas. We are seeking to make America one nation, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. Now let me say that the struggle for civil rights and the struggle to make these two Americas one America is much more difficult today than it was five or ten years ago. It's interesting that you would say that it's much difficult than it was years ago. I know it was difficult in 1967 and it's still difficult today, but why are we still having the same problems? I mean, we even had our first black president, which I know was a part of your dream. is much more difficult. It's more difficult today because we are struggling now for genuine equality. And it's much easier to integrate a lunch counter than it is to guarantee a livable income and a good solid job. It's much easier to guarantee the right to vote than it is to guarantee the right to live in sanitary, decent housing conditions. Wow. It is much easier to integrate a public park than it is to make genuine quality integrated education a reality. And so today we are struggling for something which says we demand genuine equality. Genuine equality, genuine equality, that, that, right, that is the key. Um, just because there has been progress, it doesn't mean we've arrived at our final destination. There's still so much work that needs to be done. There's still so much inequality in our nation. And now I know that life isn't fair and I don't want it to be fair. But I do think that everyone needs the same opportunities. Now the other thing that we've got to come to see now that many of us didn't see too well during the last 10 years, and that is that racism hmm. is still alive in American society and much more widespread than we realize. We must see racism for what it is. It is a myth of the superior and the inferior race. 
It is the false and tragic notion that one particular group, one particular race is responsible for all of the progress, all of the hmm. insights, wow. and the total flow of history. And the theory that another group or another race is totally depraved, innately impure, and innately inferior. I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, as a nation, we are still recovering from the era of slave slavery. This era set in motion the perception of what it's meant to be black in America. The behaviors that started back then still have residue today, many, 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 many years later. What I'm trying to get across is that our nation has constantly taken a positive step forward on the question of racial justice and racial equality. But over and over again at the same time, it made certain backward steps. Hmm. Right. And this has been the persistence of the so-called white backlash. Hmm. In 1863, the Negro was freed from the bondage of physical slavery. That's right. But at the same time, the nation refused to give him land hmm. to make that freedom meaningful. Hmm. And at that same period, America was giving millions of acres of land in the West and the Midwest, which meant that hmm. America was willing to undergird its white peasants from Europe with an economic floor that would make it possible to grow and develop and refuse to give that economic floor to its black peasants, so to speak. And this is why Frederick Douglass could say that emancipation for the Negro was freedom to hunger, hmm. freedom to the winds and rains of heaven, freedom without roofs hmm. to cover their heads, he went on to say that it was freedom without bread to eat, freedom without land to cultivate. It was freedom and famine at the same time. But it does not stop there. Freedom and famine at the same time. Wow. Freedom and famine at the same time. That definitely, definitely sounds like the world we live in today. While blacks have made progress since your day, you know, blacks can vote, blacks own property. We're not operating in segregation. Many blacks are making a decent living, myself included. Um, and there are so many though, who do not share those same experiences. It pains me to see that in 2020, there are still people that are ignored, mistreated, ostracized and even murdered in cold blood simply because of the color of their skin in the final analysis racism is evil because this its ultimate logic is genocide hmm. hitler was a sick and tragic man sick who carried racism to its logical conclusion. 
He ended up leading a nation to the point of killing about six million Jews. And this is the tragedy of racism because its ultimate logic is genocide. If one says that I am not good enough to live next door to him, if one says that I am not good enough to eat at a lunch counter, or to have a good, decent job, or to go to school with him, merely because of my race, he is saying consciously or unconsciously that I do not deserve to exist. I never thought about it like that, but you're right. You're absolutely right. If a person doesn't see the value in your life, they're unconsciously saying that you don't even deserve to be alive. And that doesn't matter what color you are. The most recent incident with George Floyd, people are looting and rioting because they're outraged. Because they realize that what this tragedy said without saying a word was that obviously George's life didn't matter to the officer who killed him or to the or to the other officers who stood by and watched and even though his life matters and mattered to us it didn't matter it didn't matter to them and so because people aren't being heard and this is probably just like the iceberg, the tipping point where I think as a nation, we got fed up with all of the senseless killings, all of the racism, all of the, the, the government covering up these crimes, all of, all of just the hatred and the racism and just, just the devaluing of the life of another. Because of that, I think there's a strong response from the Black Lives Matter movement. And while I appreciate that many are standing up for this cause, and um, I appreciate that that we all feel emotion and we realize that something needs to be done, I want I want not only for the racists to understand that Black Lives Matter, I want African Americans to also realize that black lives matter because we are destroying our own neighborhoods. We are looting. We are stealing from businesses, stealing from black businesses. And that affects someone else's livelihood. And I'm not saying that stealing from a white business is okay. I'm just, I'm making a point saying that we need to care about black lives as well and realize that what we are doing as a people um, going out there and destroying our own neighborhoods it doesn't seem like it's the right answer but but what do you think tell me what what, what we should do let me say as I've always said and I will always continue to say that riots are socially destructive and self-defeating. I'm still convinced that non-violence is the most potent weapon available mm. to oppress people in their struggle for freedom and justice. I feel that violence will only create more social problems than they sure. will solve. That in a real sense it is impractical 
for the Negro to even think of mounting a violent revolution in the United States. So I will continue to condemn riots and continue to say to my brothers and sisters that this is not the way. Continue. Sorry, we cut you off a little bit there. But I understand what, what you're saying, and, and you're saying that um, this is not the way, and, and, and there's another way. And, and while I understand all that, with the pervasive behavior and the slaughtering of people who live in the other America and treating them as if they have no value, what should we do? When the systems that are set up, that are supposed to protect us, kill us, and attempt to cover it up, what do you do? While I don't agree with the rioting and the looting, I do understand that something must be done in order to be heard. So, so what do you say to that? But at the same time, it is as necessary for me to be as vigorous in condemning the conditions okay, good. which cause persons to feel that they must ga engage in riotous activities as it is for me to condemn riots. Mm -hmm. I think America must see that riots do not develop out of thin air. Certain conditions continue to exist in our society which must be condemned as vigorously as we condemn riots. But in the final analysis, a riot is the language of the unheard. Yeah. What yeah. is it that America has failed to hear? Wow, yeah. Has failed to failed hear. Failed to hear. The of the Negro poor has worsened over the last few years. It has failed to hear that the promises of freedom and justice have not been met. And it has failed to hear that large segments of white society are more concerned about tranquility and the status quo than about mm -hmm. justice, equality, and humanity. And so in a real sense, our nation's summers of riots are caused by our nation's winters of delay. Delay, yeah. As long as America postpones justice, we stand in the position of having these recurrences of violence and riots over and over again. Social justice and progress are the absolute guarantors of riot prevention. <sighs> Oof, that was that was powerful right there, Dr. King. Um, and, and you're absolutely right. Um, rioting definitely is um, I guess it's a way to to express yourself when you know when you don't feel heard. So if if rioting and looting is ineffective, um, but we must find a way to protest peacefully or make a difference some kind of way. What else can we do? I mean, many say that just wait and time will heal it. Um, can can time? really heal what's going on? What, what do you have to say about that? Well, I think that is an answer to that myth. 
And it is that time is neutral. It can be used either constructively or destructively. Mm -hmm. And I'm absolutely convinced that the forces of ill will in our nation, the extreme rightists in our nation, have often used time much more effectively than the forces of goodwill. Mm -hmm. And it may well be that we will have to repent in this generation, not merely for the vitriolic words of the bad people and the violent actions of the bad people, but for the appalling silence, silence. and indifference of wow. the good people mm -hmm. who sit around and say, wait on time. Yeah. Somewhere we must come to see that social progress never rolls in on the wheels of inevitability comes through the tireless efforts and the persistent work of dedicated individuals and without this hard work time itself becomes an ally of the primitive forces of social stagnation and so we must help time and we must realize that the time is always right to do right so if time alone won't fix the problem, can can laws fix the problem? I mean, our justice system seems to be structured in such a way that blacks are prosecuted much more harshly than whites for the same crime. I believe people do evil things because there's evil in their heart. And I don't think that everyone is evil, but if the root of the problem is in fact in the heart, can we fix the justice system and affect the hearts of those who are evil? Can, can legislation really make a difference? But after saying this, let me say another thing which gives the other side. And that is that although it may be true that morality cannot be legislated, behavior can be regulated. Hmm even though it may be true that the law cannot change the heart it can restrain the heartless hmm. even though it may be true that the law cannot make a man love me hmm. it can restrain him from lynching me and i think that's pretty important also hmm. yeah and so while the law may not change the hearts of men it can and it does change the habits of men when you begin to change the habits of men, pretty soon the attitudes will be changed. Hmm. Pretty soon the hearts will be changed. That is profound. I, I, I never, never thought about it like that. My prayer is that God would touch the hearts of both blacks and whites. I pray for forgiveness and unity and believe, I believe that we all, we all need each other. We all have something unique to offer this world. And I pray for inclusion, not out of necessity or to adhere to a policy, but rather, as you stated earlier, genuine equality. So there can be no separate black path to power and fulfillment that does not intersect white roots. There can be no separate white path to power and fulfillment short of social disaster. It does not recognize the need of sharing that power with black aspirations for freedom and justice. 
we must come to see now that integration is not merely a romantic or aesthetic something where you merely add color hmm. to a still predominantly white power structure. Integration must integration. be seen also on political terms where there's shared power, where black men and white men share power together to build a new and a great nation. Yeah, Dr. King, King, I agree with everything you said. As mentioned, we have seen so much progress since your time, but there's still a ways to go. And I know that back then, in the midst of segregation, in the midst of being imprisoned for fighting for equality and being mistreated and all the other horrific events that you encountered, you still dared to hope. Although we're not facing the, the exact same situation that, that you did, I believe that what's going on now is a little more covert because back in, in your day, I think hate was more openly expressed and segregation was still pre prevalent and um, people didn't really try to cover up things. They just kind of said what it was and it was accepted by culture. But in today's society, I think people aren't as open with their hate or with their racism. Um, they, they do things that are racist or have these bias and then try to try to cover it up. And we cover up hate with a flawed justice system. And there's just so much going on. Um, and, and when I talk to those that care about this issue and care about what's happening, the, the, the one thing that I hear over and over again is, is people saying, we're just tired of this. We're tired of all the injustice. C could you just give us some 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 words of encouragement and and advice because you've been here before and, and you've encountered a lot more than than we have used and scorned though we may be mm -hmm. our destiny is tied up in the destiny of america before the Pilgrim Fathers landed at Plymouth, we were here. Before Jefferson etched across the pages of history the majestic words of the Declaration of Independence, we were here. Hmm. Before the beautiful words of the Star-Spangled Banner were written, we were here. Hmm. For more than two centuries, our forebears labored here without wages. They made cotton king. They built the homes of their masters in the midst of the most humiliating and oppressive conditions. Mm. Yet out of a bottomless vitality, they continued to grow and develop. And I say that if the inexpressible cruelties of slavery couldn't stop us, the opposition that we now face, including the so-called white backlash, will surely fail. We're going to win our freedom because both the sacred of our nation and the eternal will of the almighty God are embodied in our echoing demand. Amen and amen. You're right. Although, although our nation is in turmoil right now, and, and I think that really after hearing you speak, I really feel like 
we are in a good spot to really experience lasting change. I definitely have faith that tomorrow will be better than today. I see that we have many whites who are even in the fight with us who are just as, you know, affected and just as impacted and just as upset as black people are about the injustice that's happening. And so I know that you've always said that that blacks can't fight this battle alone. And so it's it really does my heart justice to see that we have so many people from other ethnicities um, really fighting this fight with us. And so I know that we will overcome this. Before I can still sing, we shall overcome. We shall overcome because the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. We shall overcome because Carlisle is right. No lie can live forever. We shall overcome because William Cullen Bryant is right. Truth, Christ, earth will rise again. We shall overcome because James Russell Lowell is right. Truth forever on the scaffold, wrong forever on the throne. Yet that scaffold sways the future. With faith, we will be able to hew out of the mounting of despair a stone of hope. With this faith, we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we will be able to speed up the day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics will be able to join hands and live together as brothers and sisters all over this great nation. That will be a great day. Mm -hmm. That will be a great tomorrow. In the word, sure to speak symbolically, that will be the day when yes. the morning stars will sing together and the sons of God will shout for joy. Thank you. Wow, thank you so much for your words of wisdom, Dr. King. I admire your love for all people, your your wisdom, your faith, your tenacity, your determination. I mean, with everything that you experience, you saw a day when people would be judged by the content of their character and not by the color of their skin or economic status. And since your I Have a Dream speech, America has continued to fight to merge these two Americas into one nation under God. And I pray that the oppression and the generational curses would be broken. I pray that we overcome the situation and I, and I know, I know that we will. And right now, so many people out there are, are feeling anger and fear dipped in a little bit of uncertainty and and everything that we've talked about Dr. King and that you've said it, it just reminded me and let me know that to really employ a solution we need to come together as a nation come together as a nation and really really allow our feelings to be funneled through focused action you know I attended a diversity workshop uh, a few years ago and um, 
the guy who was the speaker said that um, he would go out and train police officers and firefighters and things like that, uh, and people like that, rather, um, on diversity. And the reason he said that his role was a necessity is because there were so many officers and so many firefighters who grew up in rural areas where um, they had never even encountered a black person in all of their life. And what he said was, it's so important to integrate communities because when you don't understand a person, you can't truly serve them. And he gave the analogy. He said, it would be like if everyone in this room were squares and all we've ever seen were square shapes and we see triangles and circles, but we only see them on TV. And so since we've never seen one in person, then we don't really know how to respond or act. And our impression, our perception of those squares and circles would be that of which we have seen on television. And then the first time we run into a square or circle in real life as a square, we would feel like, wait a minute, I don't know how to respond. And he used an analogy because he said, there are racist police officers and racist um, firefighters and racist people, racist blacks, racist whites, whatever. But what he said that he found from his training is that a lot of the officers were afraid and had their own stereotypes in their mind because they had never encountered black people in real life um, before. And so the impression that they got from the news or from videos or from what they've seen on TV gave them a lens to look through. And he said that what he um, counsels these, you know, police forces and things like that to do is to allow the officers and other people that serve in those type of capacities to spend time with people that are different than them, to try to integrate them so that they could learn about another race or another type of, you know, type of person so that they can understand them and serve them better. And I, and I feel like with what he said, it just reminded me that we need to have more diversity on the police force. We need to have more black men, and black women who are police officers and firefighters so that when we integrate together and get to know each other, we find out that we are more alike than different. As I mentioned before, we definitely have to funnel our feelings through focused action. And so I charge you today, instead of going out and tearing up your community and looting from stores and local businesses, get with some people and strategize and come up with a plan. List out what are you asking for? What do you want? You know, and what is our plan to get it that doesn't involve violence, that doesn't involve tearing up things, that doesn't involve um, anything that's not productive? How can we get action and set in motion change using a little wisdom? In conclusion, 
fight your fear, fight your frustration with passion for change and employ a strategy that will make a difference in the world. I'm standing with you and there are so many others who are too. I hope you got something from this interview today and I'm going to ask that if you did, share in the comments with me your thoughts. Let's have a little dialogue about the situation. Thank you. Have a great day.